Welcome to the Clipping Chains podcast from ClippingChains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, Chad Andrews. And hi, how are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. (laughs) Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview with writer and outdoor enthusiast Chris Mamula. Chris is a well-known figure in the personal finance community, notably the financial independence community. Chris worked as a physical therapist before achieving financial independence and leaving his career in 2017 at age 41. Shortly thereafter, Chris, along with his wife and daughter, moved across the country from Pennsylvania to Ogden, Utah, where they now reside. While Chris and his family yearn for an adventurous life out west, he's been candid about the challenges of changing too much too soon. We discuss those challenges and how he's worked through them. We also discuss financial and lifestyle choices that are unique to the outdoor community. Finally, we address the importance of options and flexibility for an unknown future. Chris is someone who's been talking and writing about this material for a number of years, and you can tell that he's really dialed in and has a really clear message and a clear way of thinking about life now and in the future. But just like the rest of us, we don't know what's coming, and he's also given that a lot of thought. So I think you'll find something for everyone, no matter where you stand on the financial independence or early retirement spectrum. So let's get into this fascinating and wide-ranging interview with Chris Mamula. We're uh, we're rolling in time. Yeah, so I I guess you came on my radar a few years ago because we were kind of talking to a similar audience. I think we both had this uh, bend on the outdoors. And but we had, for various reasons, come into a life of wanting to have some sort of financial wellness. Um, I mean, maybe just start by telling, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about you and I'll put some links out, but give people a little bit of background on your story, um, you know, whether that be on the outdoors world and certainly on the financial side of how you came to where you are today. Yeah, I think we have a very similar kind of background. Um, I, I came to publicly writing about stuff more as a personal finance blog who um, I guess talked about my like love of like climbing and skiing and the outdoors as more of a, a background thing and kind of work that into my writing uh, as I think yours kind of more focuses on the outdoor stuff and with a bent towards personal finance, but yeah, uh, very similar themes. And uh, I think how that happened for my wife and I, like we both grew up um, in Western Pennsylvania uh, where there really aren't much in the way of mountains. And, um, right when we got out of school, we did a backpacking trip to the Grand Canyon. And that was the first time we ever really did anything outdoors and just kind of fell in love with it. And so from there, it kind of grew into more backpacking and then climbing and high altitude mountaineering and skiing. And we kind of just got into all this stuff and we kind of like fell in love with this ethos, like that you hear the, the, the term, like a dirt bag climber or a ski bum. And so like, we kind of liked that and like, liked the idea of living your passions and wanting to be in the outdoors. But um, we both grew up without a lot of money, and we kind of knew um, that that tends to those lifestyles come, tend to come with not having a lot of money and a lot of financial risk. And you're always like one injury, or even your car breaking down, or a pregnancy, or anything can happen, and then your whole life kind of starts spiraling. So we we knew we didn't want that traditional lifestyle where everything is work, 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 and money. But we also didn't want to take on the risk of that dirtbag or ski bum lifestyle. So we kind of we termed this we made this term of being like dirtbag millionaires, where we're not really dirtbags. And we didn't really think we had to be millionaires to be financially independent, but just kind of taking 
um, the best of both worlds of what we saw with people with some financial security and also people living that lifestyle, living for your passions. Well, yeah. And I want to get, definitely want to get into the dirtbag millionaire side of things because I think that can turn people off because, you know, especially in the climbing world, like to be a millionaire may not be the correct image, right? But first, just to set the stage, you're 45 now, correct? So yep. what time frame were you kind of getting like this first backpacking trip or is it like early 20s? Yeah. So I, I went, I was seven years in school. So I would guess it would have been about 25 when I was getting out of PT. So I was a physical therapist getting out okay. of PT school. And uh, it was shortly thereafter, probably I was 25, 26 and uh, kind of getting into that professional lifestyle. And just friends talked us into, they wanted to go backpack the Grand Canyon. I've never done anything like that. And so they kind of talked us into it and we figured out what gear we needed and and just went and did that. So that was about that time frame. That's a legit first trip. That's mm-hmm. not, yeah, it, <laughs> it was awesome. Wood. It was really fun. Yeah, man. Um, okay. So you were a physical therapist for how long? About a decade? Uh, six, 16 years. Six, yeah, from, okay. I graduated uh, in 2001 and I left my career in 2017. Okay. And we're jumping the gun, but you did eventually leave this for reasons we'll get in here um, shortly. But so you kind of fell in. And so I guess historically, this website's been you know very devoted to kind of the climbing scene. And you are a climber to some degree, right? Maybe more of a skier, to be fair. I'm more of a wannabe climber yeah. at this point. Yeah, I'm more of a, I, I'm very into um, skiing. And in the summer months, I do a ton of uh, mountain biking and, and hiking. And then I, I climb here and there. Like okay. We have a nine-year-old. I'm trying to get her out and into it a little bit. That's about the extent of my climbing. Yeah. So, I mean, what have you historically, what, what were you into historically in the climbing world? I mean, did you have a discipline you were psyched on? I mean... No, we so I didn't really start climbing. So I kind of talked about how we got into it through like backpacking and then we started doing different things and got into more technical stuff. So I guess the thing I really love is um, maybe like fourth class scrambles, like low mm-hmm. fifth class, getting up mm-hmm. into the mountain, doing long all day out type of things. Uh, so we've done a good style. bit in like the front range in Colorado mm-hmm. and um, we climbed in the Tetons a little bit and some stuff like that. Oh, where'd you go in the front range? That's our old stopping grounds. Uh, so we did, um, my wife and I, we did a trip. We did in one week, I think we did six or seven 14ers. I know we did, um, Tories and grays and we did, uh, I can't think of what the route's called on Tories, but it's like the little scramble and then you just do the, the um, the saddle over to grays. And we did, uh, I guess probably the only thing we really roped up for was, uh, now you're pushing my memory. Um, it was, was not a 14er. Um, I have to come back on that Some, one. I'm, I can't think well, of the name of it now. I'm, I'm totally blind. It's been 10 years. So Don't worry. I, I lived in Colorado for eight years and did zero 14er. <laughs> so it's my embarrassing. I was too one-track-minded climber. I'm like, 14er's not going to get me up my next project. So I never did it. So <laughs> I'm like, I'll be too tired. So embarrassingly, I never did any cool hiking. Um, well, cool. Okay. So you, I think you've said though, you did get, you were a bit into mountaineering though, right? You had kind of a mountaineering interest. Yeah. So again, so we kind of were in the backpacking and then we started like thinking, um, like more high altitude stuff. And we just, we'd never thought like going to Africa. We thought that just sounded really cool. So we ended up, we went and did Kilimanjaro and so kind of like more touristy things, I think to start. And then we went down into Mexico and uh, in one of the guidebooks, uh, we, I uh, just found one of the guides. His name's uh, Ruben Garcia. And mm-hmm. uh, he was just a cool guy. And we kind of became friends with him. So we did another trip with him uh, down into Ecuador. And then the first time we were in Mexico, my wife got really uh, altitude sick and we didn't get to do the things we wanted to. So we went back and uh, at that point he was kind of hurt and wasn't guiding, but he, we kind of met up with him and just hung out. And then he drove us to the things. And and so we did two trips to Mexico and uh, we did some stuff. Um, I guess it was probably... Um, that was probably the most of the extent of our high altitude stuff. We were starting to get into, uh, we wanted to do uh, Liberty Ridge uh, uh-huh. with a friend. 
And the year we were planning that, his uh, girlfriend got pregnant and she was like due right when we were supposed to go. So we bumped it to the next year. And then Kim, my wife, got pregnant. And, and our whole high altitude stuff has kind of gotten, for the most part, put on the back burner. That's a pretty familiar story. Yeah. 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 I used to be into big mountains and then I had a kid. <laughs> yeah. A very familiar story, I think, to listeners. So no, speaking of listeners, I mean, so a lot of the folks coming to my website are maybe on the newer, and I'm assuming, honestly, I don't know this to actually be true, or on the newer side. Um, kind of coming into the financial independence scene, perhaps for the first time or are new to it. But you're actually a pretty big name in the financial world, at least to me. Um, so do you want to tell folks a little bit about that side of your life and how, I mean, against all odds, maybe you ended up in this world? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we talked about it. it took me about 16 years to get from the point where I started my career to uh, we were at a position I was comfortable leaving it with a fair amount of financial security. Um, but that first decade, um, I really had no idea what I was doing as far as anything technical. So again, like we were kind of living our passions. And so my wife and I, we grew up in, in families that didn't have a whole lot of money. And so when we both had two like professional careers, so like I was a physical therapist and my wife, she did a variety of different things, but um, similar earning power, like neither of us ever made a six figure salary or anything, uh, but we lived better than what we did as, as kids growing up. So I think what most people do is you just go out and you buy the biggest house you can afford, the fanciest car you can afford. Right. And when I say afford, it's really like the biggest mortgage you can take out, the biggest car loan that they'll give you. Um, and we just kind of rejected that. So we didn't, I mean, we lived in a decent house, but it was never anything extraordinary. Uh, we drove pretty junky cars. Uh, we just kind of didn't care about that stuff. So we got those big things right. And so, like I said, we were kind of all over the world. We've been to um, Africa. We've been to South America. We've been to Australia. We've been in Alaska. Uh, we've skied all over the West. Um, we were from Pennsylvania originally. Um, so we've kind of, we were doing the things we wanted to do. That's where we would spend our money. But like our structural costs were just really low because we weren't spending a lot on housing and cars and the things that people were uh, typically spend their money on. And so, like I said, about 10 years, we were just kind of stumbling through trying to build some financial security. And then we were going to move West and kind of take on that dirtbag ski bum lifestyle, but with more financial security mm -hmm. than most people do. Right. And then we found out my wife was pregnant when we didn't think we could have kids. And so it took about five years to kind of get our financial house in order. But we kind of, at that point, finally got serious and learned about uh, stuff that prior to that I thought was just inaccessible. So like the investing, the tax planning, 100%. like how much money do you need yeah. to retire? I mean, I didn't think retiring. I thought that was something early retirement. I would say maybe like 55 or 60. I didn't mm -hmm. think like a 40 year old could do that. Uh, so it never even crossed my mind to get serious and try to plan something like that. No, absolutely. And, and, and you got so serious to the point that you started writing about it like me and I mean, and now today you write for a, a website, canireretireyet.com, correct? Which you've, I mean, is it fair to say out loud? I mean, you've taken this kind of over from its original creator, Daryl Kirkpatrick, and you're kind of running that on your own? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, before we maybe, that's maybe like getting the, um, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Sure. But my original blog was called Eat the Financial Elephant. Right. And right. I think the only reason I, I think that's important to say is like, when we start talking to people, I, I love talking outside of the personal finance community because I think there's so many people that doing something different like this is really possible, but they, they don't even try because they don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. And so my original blog was called Eat the Financial Elephant. And the whole reason behind that, so I was, I was at my office, I was starting my blog and I didn't have a name yet. And I was, uh, uh, this woman brought her granddaughter in and we were looking at a highlights, like the kids magazine. And there was a riddle, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And like, I was so overwhelmed by personal finance. And I just thought like, I could never imagine that I'd be, first off, I, I didn't know anything about blogging, let alone anything about personal finance. So the fact that like, I've written a book now and I have a fairly successful right. financial blog, uh, I didn't think that was even, I would have laughed in your face if you had told me that a decade ago that I would be here uh, doing this stuff now. Right. But yeah, I always thought that was kind of overwhelming. So I think it's kind of important that it's 
made understandable that like this isn't inaccessible for normal people and, and it's really not that hard if you just apply yourself a little bit. Yeah, and I, I really like that about your message and you've been saying this repeatedly for years and I think it's worth driving home that this is not none of us neither you nor I came into this with this natural financial acumen. Um, we're not investing gurus, we're not I mean, we've learned a lot now. We may consider ourselves fairly solid on a lot of the fundamentals, but I mean, I think it's fair to say you just said it yourself. You didn't come into this with really much knowledge at all, correct? No, absolutely. Yeah. I went to school for, I mean, between traditional school and then my bachelor's and my master's and doctor. I mean, I had 20 years of school where you're spending all this time learning how to make money, but like I've never had one, not even a semester, not even a weekend course or anything about how to like what to do actually with your money to protect it and grow it and to use it to make money for you. hundred percent. I mean, that, that's the message we hear all the time in modern society. There's a lot out there about how to make more money. And, and we could talk endlessly about whether folks are even following that advice really well, but a lot out there about what, to, how to make money, but not a whole lot about what to do with it. And the implicit assumption in a lot of uh, mainstream financial advice is, you know, that you're going to spend the majority of it. And at some point, you and your wife, Kim, decided that you weren't going to do that. I mean, you were saving a good chunk of your income. And maybe briefly kind of give us that story of how you went from, okay, I'm having a daughter. I need to understand some sort of financial literacy, maybe for her sake alone, to I don't even have to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think like maybe backing up a step, like sure. to, to how we got like, so um, I, I now write, it's called FIRE, Financial Independence, Retire Early for mm -hmm. people that aren't familiar with it. But um, so we were kind of doing a lot of the things that people write about without knowing that that was a thing or a possibility. Mm -hmm. And really for us, it just came from, so for my wife, she grew up in a household with just, uh, just struggled with money, um, for lack of a better way to say it. And, and, um, so for her, it was really saving was like a sense of security. Mm -hmm. And for me, I mean, my family grew up, like I was never wanting for anything. I felt secure and. Uh, but we also like, we, like when I was a young child, like we did a couple big vacations my dad was a newspaper photographer and then he quit and started his own business. So like the summer months, uh, like when we were off school is when he was super busy. So we never did anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was kind of maybe just like a sense of having some freedom to have some adventure was what money meant. Uh, but like, we, we just didn't care about like what most people care about again, like housing, cars, the things where most right. people spend their money. So uh, yeah, we were just kind of getting the big things right, but we were basically structured our life to live off of her salary and we saved mine. So originally we were just trying to get her out of debt, which we did in about a year. And then we were like saving for a down payment on our first house. And then once we did that, like we were paying off our house with my first paycheck and the other one we were investing. And so we were building a substantial amount of wealth without knowing, without having any idea what we were doing. And you can make a lot of mistakes, but if you're saving 50% of what you make, um, you're still going to be in a pretty decent position. 100%. So like after a decade of that, we were in a strong place to start before we ever started figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, was it a big hurdle for you to even start investing? Was that something that felt scary or did it feel kind of natural? You just didn't know about it at that point? Yeah. So like I so said, like my parents never made a lot of money and I knew they were doing okay though. And I think that was really because my mom was just really good at stretching a dollar. But okay. they were investing and they okay. were using a financial advisor. So like I just went to them and I said, you know, I think you guys are doing pretty well. Um, what are you doing? And they said, we can connect you with our advisor. And that was the amount of due diligence I did. I never asked a question. I never read an investing book. I had zero clue what I was doing. Just basically whatever he told us to do, we did. And I mean, um, I wouldn't say we got ripped off. I would say we got really standard advice, which again, like you can build wealth because the market, I mean, this, the market typically goes up over time, but if you don't realize what you could be doing, like we were paying, like literally by the time we were done at the end of a decade, we were paying over $10,000 in unnecessary fees every year mm. and $10,000 of unnecessary taxes every year, which 
uh, which sounds kind of absurd <laughs> that that amount of money you could pay on a normal salary. But yeah, and we were and didn't even realize it because they are able to hide stuff the in the fine print right. and it's right. out of sight, out of mind, and you don't know what you're doing. It's a good segue. I wanted to ask you that because you've mentioned this in the book. You've mentioned this on your website. You've mentioned this in podcasts. I think you had a, maybe it wasn't very exceptional, but you had quite the experience with a financial advisor so much that, correct me if I'm wrong, you were even advised not to contribute to a 401k or maybe you just took that as... I don't know, maybe that's where your mind went with it. And you were bypassing that and going straight, putting all your money towards this advisor. Is that no, correct? no. We, yeah, we were explicitly yeah. told not to do that. Like wow. we asked him because, so my boss signed us up automatically. He automatically enrolled every employee to get the employer match. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so we went to our advisor. I said, would you sit down with us and look at these investments? And so he looked at them and he said, you know, like we have a team here that uh, like you, we have access to stuff that you don't have in your 401k. And I think it would be a better option. And like, again, like I, whatever he said, we trusted, like I had no idea what questions to ask. It sounded legitimate. And like in retrospect, I mean, he did have outstanding options for him to get paid more, uh, but it was not good for us in any way, shape or form. So again, like we bypassed all that tax deferral, which again was thousands of dollars. And then we were investing in a taxable account, which over time, as that builds up, that starts kicking off income that doesn't need to be taxed uh, if it was in a tax sheltered account, but for us it was. And so that was creating more taxes. And then again, every fund that he put us in, it was to benefit, it benefited him because it was high fee funds. And again, like these things add up as you're, as you're saving that amount of money as we were. So yeah, by the end of a decade, we were paying like $20,000 per year, not knowing it. So you're with this fellow for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, like they're, they're really good with, um, putting stuff again, kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, and there's enough truth to what they're saying, like that it makes sense. Like if you like look at stuff and they say, you know, you should dollar cost average, meaning like put in a little bit every month. That's what he told us to do. And that's true. And that's good advice. Right. And like we were investing through like 2008 when the whole bottom fell out of the economy and the stock market. And he said, you know, keep investing through. And again, that was good advice, but it also benefited him because if we pull our money out, he's not getting fees. Oh, yeah. uh, so anytime the advice benefited him, like we got good advice and some of it was, you know, benefited us too. Uh, but then like, again, stuff like not using your 401k, looking at investment fees, which are one of the few things you can control and has a huge impact in your performance over time he kind of conveniently omitted those things. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of conflicts and you have to really understand, uh, understand those things going in. Yeah. And to your credit, I've heard you say, you know, you used to be far more dogmatic about never use a financial advisor, be DIY, which is kind of along where I'm at. I've always been DIY, but to your credit, you have mentioned there are scenarios. We all have our personal reasons. There could be a good fee only structure for talking with someone. Uh, another interview I just recently did, it was beneficial for him because his wife and him were so different financially on their viewpoints that it was good to have an intermediary just to sit down and talk with. Maybe not to handle their assets, but just to have someone to bounce ideas off with on an hourly basis. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. But yeah, you, it sounds like you did have quite the wild ride and then really changed things around once you kind of went DIY, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Uh, just kind of follow up, like, so uh, as a perfect example, my own parents, so we talked about how you know, they were investing with a, this same financial advisor. And at first, and again, kind of these guys, like they create relationships and they're like, if you talk to somebody that's getting into the financial services business, that's how they're trained to build their businesses. Right. Like they, as you're, as you're getting into the field, they tell you to reach out to family and friends. And, and so there's that implicit trust and you, a lot of people don't ask questions, very similar to us. And so as we were talking to my parents, I started to tell them like what type of advice and why we were leaving the advisor it was almost a point of tension between us. And eventually like they started reading my stuff and they, they asked me to sit down with them one day and I kind of broke down, this is what you're paying. This is what your advice says. 
And so eventually um, I took over and I managed my parents' money now. But like in their 60s, they had a substantial amount of money. Like they're not in a position where I think that they would have been wise to do it on their own. And not everybody has a son who's a nerd who's like, sure. who dives, sure. does a deep dive into the stuff. So yeah, like people like that, yeah, I mean, it's not, there's no shame in getting help, but if you're going to, uh, you really have to ask a lot of questions. You really have to understand the conflicts. And so I try to write, I write mainly to people who are doing it on their own, but also like to kind of take that stigma away. Like I don't judge anybody. I don't care what you do. Like as long as you go in with your eyes open and you know what you're doing. Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's still members of my family who are after me writing about it for years are still with financial advisors. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And especially, even if it is, if you've been doing it that way, 20, 30, I don't know, however many years, it's going to be, a, feel like a very big leap to go and all of a sudden manage this on your own. Yeah, for even sure. Even though we would argue it's not that difficult, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, so my website, I really do like to focus on Maybe less nuts and bolts financially, although I like to pepper this in, but a little bit more lifestyle kind of focus on in, in the big pictures and why. Um, and one thing I've liked about your story is that when you guys first decide to leave your jobs and move out west, you 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 kind of fell victim to this like let's change everything at once. And you've been honest about how that was a struggle. And I resonate a lot with that in my own life. In this past year, there's been a whole and and some of that certainly was the COVID issue for us. But we we changed our lives dramatically overnight, and that's maybe not necessarily advisable. I mean, take me through a little bit of like what that was like and and when this was kind of time frame. Yeah, so I I think I definitely went down, like we talked about the whole FIRE acronym, and and I think a lot of people look at that as a, um, like you reach financial independence, meaning you have enough to live forever, and then you retire. And retirement means what most people think of retirement. Like you walk away from your job and you live off of investments or Social Security or whatever, whatever passive forms of income. And that's what retirement. And I definitely, like we mentioned, I write the blog, can I retire yet? And I found that blog literally asking that question. Like I wanted to retire. I was burnt out on being a physical therapist. I wanted a life with more adventure. And so for me, it was all about retiring and like just moving on to this next phase of life. Mm -hmm. And it was really a lot about escape. And then like, as we kind of started getting close again, like we talked about, like for me, financial independence was about being able to live more adventurously. But for my wife, it was about living with a lot of security that she didn't have growing up. And so like we were always like we had we never had two nickels to rub together as like college students and we got along great and we were starting and we were you know we had a new mortgage and just starting out and getting out of debt and we got along great and then all of a sudden we have like more money than we ever had and we're like fighting about money which is kind of insane isn't that crazy yeah yeah and because uh, we were now all of a sudden not on the same page Jason maybe had it yeah and uh, so I mean that was definitely a big thing and then like we were again like so we started on this path like looking for retirement but then as we got closer. It became less about that. Like we knew that we were going to do probably some part-time work and some hobby jobs and stuff like that. And so we weren't super worried about that, but we did want to make this change. Like we were talking about moving. So we were from Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh and we were talking about moving West in two, early 2012. And um, how that kind of came about is my wife was finishing up her, her master's degree and she did, uh, it was in, it's called operations research and they do like quality control and all these different things. And so she did a case study. We were getting into climbing and she did this case study with Black Diamond, uh, with different climbing manufacturers, actually, how they do, like, if you look on a carabiner, it'll have, like, the different numbers and when a carabiner will break. Mm-hmm. It's so, like, how do they do the quality control on that stuff? And so she reached out to them, and they gave her some data, and she was talking to some people. And we were coming out here on a ski trip, and she kind of worked her way into um, just allowing, they allowed her to come in and, like, showed her, like, the lab where they break carabiners and do all this stuff. And uh, ended up making a connection. And so over the course of, like, six months, they offered her a job, and we were going to move out here. And in the time that this all was evolving, we found out she was pregnant. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so like we never did move and we stayed in Pennsylvania and we were always kind of had these doubts like, you know, I think we were always looking to build the security, but we also wanted this adventure. And so my daughter was going to be starting kindergarten. So like we had to make a move. And so like I left my job and we sold the house that we owned for over a decade and we moved. We now live in Ogden, Utah. So we moved to a place where we from from a place where both of our families were and we had, uh, you know, a decade of professional and personal relationships family support, and, and yeah. like now we move out here with a young kid and no support at all and so yeah i mean it was it was just a lot of change at one time and it was a lot of stress but you do feel like you've kind of seen the other side of it and yeah i mean it was it took a while so it took us about i would say six to 12 months and then we finally were just feeling comfortable we kind of found our groove and so we were we were getting into doing some really cool stuff out here we loved it here and we were actually we mentioned like how i got into doing everything with the outdoors with um, with the uh, Grand Canyon trip. And so my dad and I were talking about doing a, a backpacking trip and he's now 71. And so we, we got, we secured permits and we were going to go last May to the Grand Canyon with my dad, who's like 70 and my daughter who at the time was seven and kind of repeating this first trip that Kim and I did. And then COVID hit. And then with COVID, we were isolated here again. So again, it was just kind of a struggle. And, and so again, like, I think a lot of times you glamorize, like you're going to get to financial independence and retire and then life gets better. And I really think that's faulty. Like life happens. And like, right. I mean, it was definitely easier for us. Like when we became homeschool parents, like a lot yeah. of people, we were very well positioned compared to most people, but it doesn't make it easy. It still sucks. Like right. being here with a seven-year-old and all of a sudden you have to figure out how to homeschool on the fly. And like these awesome trips we had all got canceled and, you know, like life happens. So like, right. I think it's really important to. Um, kind of find a balance and to really enjoy every step of the way as much as you can. And, and that's easier said than done sometimes, but it's important to, to not brush that over and just say, oh, it's just cliche, but it's, it's true and it's real. Yeah. I mean, this has been one of my overarching themes and, and something I find very important because I mean, believe me, I drank the re- early retirement Kool-Aid all day. I mean, I'd sit at work and I just thought when I'm there, it's going to be great, you know? And for a minute, it really was it, like those first three weeks for me were just glorious. And then COVID hit and everything changed. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think COVID, whether that came or went, would have mattered. I think we'd, you know, revert back to this emotional baseline you were at prior. And, uh, you know, I just kind of always been fascinated by this this concept of happiness and what really does bring happiness. Um, Personally, you know, can money bring happiness? Yeah, I think to some degree it does. Um, I guess what, what about this do you think has changed you like emotionally versus, and what do you still struggle with? I mean, you said to this day, maybe you still argue about money to some degree. I mean, is that something that just kind of never goes away? You just kind of adapt? Yeah. I, mean, I think we're, we're settling in and getting more comfortable. Like we're three years since I left my job, my wife still works part-time mm-hmm. and like now my blog brings in a bit of revenue, not nothing close to what I made like as a therapist. But um, again, when you're kind of at this point, you don't need a whole lot. So um, it helps. And, uh, but I think a lot of it is just getting adjusted. And um, I, I guess, I, I guess my thought on the relationship of like money and happiness is when you don't have enough, or if you don't feel like you have enough, uh, it can definitely cause stress and make you unhappy. But I think like once you have your basic needs met, like mm-hmm. having more isn't necessarily going to make you mm-hmm. more happy is, um, and I think there's actually a good bit of research that shows that, but that's certainly been my personal experience too. Right. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating stuff. Speaking of career, and you, this is another thing I've been kind of interested that you've you've been careful to mention. I think the old financial independence moniker was like, well, you know, worst case scenario, I'll just go back to what I was doing. But in your career, that really that kind of ship might have sailed, correct? Yeah. I mean, it really does depend what you do. I mean, I I think even in my career, I don't have any licenses, but the way the industry moves, 
changing technology. I mean, I've only been out for 18 months, but I feel like, man, I mean, it might as well have been five years. So tell me a little bit about like what that means if you have been gone this long and, and can you go back? Well, so my original plan, so I was a physical therapist and, and as a physical therapist, typically, um, you're, there's a lot of demand. So I, my background, I did like outpatient orthopedics, sports medicine, uh, which is a little bit harder to get jobs than say home care, which you can do anywhere or nursing homes, which are, are really easy to come by. Um, so I was kind of thinking like maybe I would try to do some of that stuff that's easier to come by and do like a, a very limited part-time work or like you can do travel assignments where mm. say maybe somebody's on a maternity leave and you go somewhere for six weeks and mm -hmm. cover. And so like I was going to keep the door open and then uh, I didn't do that in 2018 because we were moving and life was crazy. And in 2019, I released my book and everything. And I was kind of thinking 2020, I kind of either have to, for lack of a better term, like shit or get off the pot. And like, yeah. So I was thinking about maybe I'll get a part-time job and, and mess around with that a little bit. And then COVID hit. And so again, like now, like non-essential healthcare, which physical therapy I would put into, uh, like everybody I talked to was getting laid off left and right and people were cutting hours. So there really wasn't an opportunity. So now I was like, I'm approaching three years out and I had to make a decision. Like, do I want to renew my license or just let it go? And I just decided to let it go. Like I'm in a position I'm pretty comfortable from the finance side. And I've also found different things that are kind of giving me, filling my time and giving me purpose and meaning. So yeah, that it has gone, but yeah, I don't think you want to um, thoughtlessly walk away from, from, you know, a lucrative career without, without considering your options because mm -hmm. you can't always necessarily go back. Yeah. No, let's talk about that. I'm glad you, it's a good segue talking about purpose. I mean, I think COVID was interesting in that, you know, and I wrote a post about some of the downsides of maybe the full on retirement. And I did get some good feedback from folks who were like, you know, COVID was helpful in a way that I got a taste of retirement in a way because maybe, you know, I was at home more and I realized, you know, maybe I missed the office. Maybe I missed my coworkers. Maybe I missed a commute for God's sakes. I don't know. Um, so I, I guess, do you feel like you're getting, is the writing work? I mean, you've, you've stayed quite busy. I mean, and we'll talk about your book. Actually, I want to mention that since you brought it up, but do you feel like that's giving you purpose? I mean, does that get you check the boxes in a way for you? Um, it's so, Maybe a better way to answer the question. Like, so I was a physical therapist and I think like, I definitely, to some degree, I fell into that like demonizing work and like, I'm going to, like, I hate my job when I'm done, I'll be yeah. happy. I, Cause there was a lot of aspects like being in the American healthcare system, like work, like all the administrative stuff. And it just feels like it gets worse every year. And it was awful. <laughs> and that was legit. And like being a physical therapist, it's basically, it's a service industry and people come in two or three times a week. So you don't have much control of your schedule. And not only do you have to be there most if not all days of the week but like you have a lot of people that are coming after work or like i said we did like high school like athletes so you have kids mm -hmm. coming after school so you tend to be there into the evening or and or really early mornings and so um there was just a lot of demands like that and i didn't have a lot of control of my schedule so those were real things that i didn't like but there was a lot of things like being a physical therapist like i grew up in western pennsylvania it was a depressed steel and coal town and like you know you would have patients that come in that were you know, they're working in blast furnaces that are a hundred and some degrees and you have people working underground as miners. And like, my job was not that it was pretty easy and it was pretty Seriously. well paid. Yeah. And like, it was pretty rewarding. Like almost every one of my patients, when you're doing orthopedics and sports medicine, unless you're really screwing up or you have really bad surgeons that you're working with, almost everybody gets better. And so it's rewarding and you're helping people and you have that social interaction every day. And right. I lost all of that. And right. so writing like it fulfills, like, I feel like I'm helping people and I'm reaching people, but that, that feedback loop is so much longer. Like you write something and you put it out into the ether and then like, you maybe get a couple comments or people will email you, but you don't ever really know how much people are following up. You don't get to see the results. And so right. I miss that. So 
Yeah, I'm kicking around maybe doing some type of coaching with people like on a one-on-one and like on a using my physical therapy skills. I actually I've been involved uh, since we moved here and this has been a bit less since COVID, but uh, with adaptive skiing. Uh, mm. And I'm also mm-hmm. I've just recently started um, trying to start getting involved with adaptive climbing. So being able to use the skills and knowledge that I have as a physical therapist with the love of the outdoors and kind of helping people to um, to get out and experience things that uh, I think everybody should be able to in an ideal world. But uh, you know, life's not fair. And, and uh, right. so not everybody gets to. So yeah, it's, it's, that's been a, a way that I've kind of filled that need. Yeah. You know, and I get this question a lot, whether it's early retirement or even reflecting on the trip my wife and I did being on the road. Um, and I honestly don't have great answers for this a lot of the times, but folks are always like, well, how do you build community with that kind of life if you're traveling or if you're no longer going to work? Because I mean, studies show, I mean, we, we tend to meet a lot of our friends and community through work and, you know, and I'm still new on the curve here. You know, I'm 18 months in from being in the corporate world and I did do a road trip. And the short answer is, is it's harder. You have to actually put conscious effort. Um, that's my, been my experience. I mean, how, how have you settled into this new world out here? I mean, you've moved. Now we're in Ogden. Um, totally different world, different culture, different everything. I mean, has that, has that worked out fairly well enough for you at this point? It's worked out amazingly well. But I think, uh, honestly, a lot of that is luck. We just have absolutely phenomenal neighbors and Mm -hmm. um, lots of kids in our neighborhoods for our daughter to play with. It's a really outdoorsy, like we're a couple blocks from the trail systems. And so people that tend to live here tend to be more outdoorsy people. And so we've kind of just, just kind of fell into a a really perfect community. But even at that, I mean, it took, you know, like when you have a young child, like, you know, like going from having two sets of grandparents nearby who we could trust and call on a five minute, 10 minute notice to like, who do we trust our kids with to, for us to be able to get out and climb or, or do, or even just go for dinner or do stuff Mm -hmm. on our own. Uh, so just like stuff like that, building a community that was kind of, it just takes time. And, um, and again, like, I think like you and I both kind of would advise against the path that we took of like changing everything really rapidly. Uh, but I think if you can find ways to try things out, like, so I think like a lot of times people will, well, you know, like I'm going to save up all this money and get an RV and go live that lifestyle. Well, like maybe like rent one for two weeks or a month and try it. And like, a, do you even like that? And then B, even if you like it, like we did that actually just this past June, we rented and went back to Pennsylvania and we took eight or nine days each way and spent two weeks back with our family. And we loved it, but like, we were all ready to get back. Like my daughter missed her friends. She was ready to get back into our normal activities. Like I was just jonesing to get back on my mountain bike and like, um, just getting back into routine. Like it's, it's nice to, it's nice to be able to get on the road and nice to have that freedom. But like, yeah, I I personally wouldn't want to live that way. But when I was working all the time, it sounded pretty romantic. And that was one of the things we considered that that's, you just said my story basically. I, yeah, I romanticized it heavily had done a lot of short trips. So just figured I could, you know, make that a linear path and it is disruptive to a routine. And, and, you know, if you're a productive person, like I am, it's hard to be productive and do, and do kind of uh, regular work. My wife was working on the road to be out in that environment yeah. So, you know, for the right person, it's a great fit. And there undoubtedly are those out there. Um, but while we're talking about kids, like, let's talk about that a little bit, because that's a lot of feedback I get too. that, you know, oh, you know, you guys had good incomes, you had no kids. That's why you're able to get set up financially. What are, what are the what are the misconceptions you think about having children? And, you know, are children that expensive? Like, how, what are your thoughts on that? Did you feel like you had to add a huge buffer because you have a kid or? Yeah, like, I would love to talk about that. But if we could back up for just one second. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But like, the, the, no, I was just kind of just a thought popped into my head. Okay. But like you talked about, like, I think you romanticized this lifestyle. And so I, we, I mentioned like when we did our trip to Mexico and we ended up doing 
uh, three trips, like where one was actually, he was our guide and then two other, we kind of met up and, and, uh, with him, but this guide in Mexico. And then also there was a guy from our hometown. He ended up guiding in the Tetons and we went up and met up with him. And both of them, like we talked to, like we're on this glacier in, in Mexico or we're like up in the Tetons and we're like, man, I cannot imagine this being your everyday. And like, I, again, like you kind of glamorized, but like for them as a guide, like they're like, well, you know, you guys are actually getting to doing this stuff and you're competent and you're careful and you're in shape. He's like, we got to take people who expect us to basically get them up and down a mountain. Both mm-hmm. of these guys told me this exact same antidote. And we have to get them up and down. We're doing the same route over and over because it's like the trade route. Right. And, you know, like when you're doing that, it kind of becomes a job. And I think like traveling and doing this stuff or even like like with us, like, I mean, I do ski probably 50 or 60 days a year. But, you know, I don't ski like when we were on vacation. I don't ski eight hours a day. I'll go up and, right. you know, if it's a powder day, I might ski eight hours. But some days maybe I'll go do two or three runs and that's good enough just to kind of get my my outdoor fix. And then I go in and you have to find something to do with the rest of your day. And like if you think that you can do that. 24 seven, 365, like it just becomes your job. It becomes your routine and, and it's not that escape and it's not vacation anymore. So yeah, it's just, I think that's an important point. And, and, uh, uh, I forget what you're asking about the kids, but we can get back to that. But yeah, I just wanted to well, drop actually, that in. Cause... I'd like to follow that tangent for a minute. I mean, cause that's big in the climbing world, right? I mean, people get so sucked into the sport, they're willing to try and build careers around it. And I've always struggled with the idea of making something you're so passionate about also your job. Um, because I don't know, once something becomes your job, I'm not sure it always stays as a passion. And for those exact same reasons, like guiding, for instance, and I don't, you know, I don't want to shit on guides, but you know, if you have to do the same five, seven, 10 times, you know, a week, is it really that fun anymore? And so, no, I, I completely relate. Um, and I, even like now, like, so I've had that, I've, I mentioned I was doing the adaptive skiing and the one guy, uh, we've become pretty good friends and we've been working with this one client a lot. And he keeps trying to talk to me like, why don't I become like a paid staff and become, mm-hmm. you know, cause like I, to help people with the guided skiing and stuff. And I don't know, like in, in a way it's tempting, but in a way it's like, am I going to ruin this thing that I absolutely love? Cause right. I can just show up and like, if my daughter has a day off school though, I don't have to go. I'm just a volunteer. And, but when I do show up, like I, I can add some stuff that maybe other volunteers can't, or even some of the other guides can't, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, there's definitely a luxury there. And yeah, I'm very I'm very careful about turning something that it's a passion into a, you know, something that you have to do. Cause I think you can quickly ruin that. So, um, so anyway, yeah, let's do kids then. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, this is a very recurring theme in the financial world. Like how much, and, 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 and maybe it's because a lot of the early blog, well, actually that's not even true. A lot of the early bloggers have children. Um, it's not really, maybe that's just a complete misconception to begin with. I don't, but a lot of people do. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it, obviously kids cost money. Like you yeah, do have to feed free. them. It's they're frowned upon if you don't, or like put clothes on them and stuff. So like you do have to spend some money, yeah. but I think it's like with anything like, so, um, so we're sitting, um, this is like one of the first uh, ever in-person podcasts I've recorded, but if you turn around, like you see my skis behind you. So yeah. I have, um, like my one set of skis and like you can, I, there's definitely skiers who will go out and drop, you know, a couple of grand every year. Cause they have to have the newest gear. Right. And then, like, you know, you do these trips and you can, and you can go and you spend $150 per day pass. And like I ski probably 50 to 70 days a year. And I buy a, a value pass at Snow Basin for like 550 bucks. I have the one pair of skis, which I use for backcountry and resort skiing. Um, I get some free passes through and I go to Powder Mountain. So I probably spend less than seven or $800 a year. And I ski 
probably 70 days, whereas some people will spend that in a week doing a trip. And that's kind of the same thing with kids, right? So like if your kids have to have like the newest clothes and you're saving because they have to go to like a private, private schools and save for a private college and, and, you know, and they have to be in this camp and that camp. Yeah. You can make it very expensive, but like, I don't know. We just, we kind of focus on what's important to us is spending time with our daughter. Uh, I think with, for most kids, that's what they value. So like we do a ton with her, like she's been skiing since she was two. Um, so we do spend some money, but like we rent skis for a hundred bucks a year and ski passes up until this is the first year we ever had to buy. So those are always free. So it doesn't cost a whole lot of money to do that. We sled ride, we hike, we paddleboard and just throw on our board and she jumps off. And so we're always out doing outdoorsy stuff. And none of that stuff costs really much money. Um, again, like clothes, um, she had a cousin that was older. We did the hand-me-down stuff. Like we're technically like probably wealthy by most people, but we don't go and buy her into new fancy clothes. We go to like consignment stores and that's where we get her stuff because we're just kind of frugal by nature. And we don't, again, we don't care about that stuff that right, much. Right. Uh, so the stuff we, we do um, value, we spend money on, but uh, yeah, it doesn't have, it's kind of like with anything you can make it as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be. Right. Yeah. And, and undeniably, I mean, this is one of the true beauties of the life you've chosen is that, I mean, the typical American experience is that the parents are at work all day, you know, Monday through Friday, maybe working 50, 60, whatever many hours, but you're here with your daughter all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the best thing you can possibly do for a child. And it would carry obviously far more weight than the best summer camp or the best yeah, set of skis, whatever. Um, So no, that's interesting. It's just something that comes up all the time and just want to highlight people when I can who like, yeah, I got kids. I did this too. So. And this is probably really relevant for your audience too. But like, so when we had our daughter, um, I was, I mentioned like we were starting to get into climbing and we lived where we weren't very, it wasn't very accessible. Mm-hmm. So the college near us, they opened a wall. And so I ended up getting a job running their climbing wall. And so I, I didn't make very much money. Basically, um, the first year it was a lot of work and I quit because <laughs> I didn't really need the money. I wanted to do it as a place to, to have a place to climb. And um, the students, I had a lot of positive feedback. So they kind of were asking, like, what it would take for me to stay. So I kind of said, like, I wanted a key to the building so I can go in and climb whenever I wanted. So I basically had my own climbing gym for five years. And uh, I took all that money. And, like, again, we were already well on our way to saving and we didn't need more. And so we just took that money that I was earning and we put that away and we really front loaded her education expenses. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, we, we've front loaded and we kind of those same principles we use for us, we use for her. So we front loaded her college education mm. and we were done saving by the time she was five. And it was all just from that hobby job. Oh, so I made fantastic. a couple thousand bucks a year, poured it all directly into the same uh, simple investment strategy. And, you know, the market's done nothing but go up. So, I mean, yeah, she has probably more money than the average retiree uh, age person uh, just from doing a little hobby job and, and just pouring that in. So yeah, and that's I, such a huge advantage. I mean, you and I both know college education. I mean, people are coming out at, at major disadvantage with, you know, hundred grand debt. Uh, yeah. Six figure debt figures and, and to not have to start that way is an amazing advantage. So you wrote a book published in 2019, I believe. Um, I want to say it was. Yeah, that's so right. I did yep. a review for yep. it. Yep. <laughs> uh, and it was with the Choose Five Guys. Yes. And so for those of you folks who aren't aware, I've, I think I've already mentioned them on the first interview I did. Uh, they they have a wildly successful podcast now for the last four years, I want to say. Something like that. Um, uh, Brad and... Um, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, correct. And then you got... you te- So give me a little bit of backstory on how you ended up writing this book with these guys um, cause you kind of had the same idea and you guys kind of like just, I don't know, fate collided and you, yeah, you can, I'll let you tell it. Yeah. So we, we kind of talked about how, like I, I got into this, like I had no clue what I was doing with investing and tax planning. And I, I thought it was really overwhelming. And so I started finding these fire blogs and 
and they just really simplified stuff and they made it accessible to me. Mm-hmm. And so I loved them, but also like some of them, they were pretty extreme and I don't know, like that didn't really reflect, like I was not super frugal. Like I said, we were traveling all over the place and, um, and so like I didn't buy into the frugality thing quite as much, at least not the extreme like the aspect of it. Frugality. Yeah. And I also like, um, I, I just think you should kind of like some of them are maybe kind of judgy and I didn't like that, but mm. there was, there was certain parts that were just absolutely brilliant. Like they just simplified things in ways that uh, I had never seen anywhere else. And we even went to like our personal uh, accountant friend and we ran our plans by her once. And she's like, where'd you get that idea? And I said, well, I was reading these blogs and she's I was like, why are we like doing something illegal? And she's like, no, it's brilliant. But like, even like as an accountant, she had never really heard some of these strategies, yeah, which yeah. are really simple and they're everywhere. And so anyway, so like I, I picked and chose like all these different things from different people and my idea. So I became, um, as I was kind of finding podcasts, I also stumbled into the Tim Ferriss podcast mm-hmm. and he just interviews people that are really successful from all these different walks of life. And he took all of his interviews and he turned them into a book. Um, I think of the name of it. So myself, tools of Titans. Yeah. Tools and, of Titans. Uh, yep. and so I kind of had this idea, like, what if I did that? Like all these people that influence me, I'll go out and I'll, uh, hunt them down and I'll interview them and take all the principles that I found uh, most valuable and turn that into a book. And then Brad and Jonathan, they started this choose FI podcast uh, a couple of months before I was going to leave my job. And that was going to kind of be my retirement project. And so I just reached out to them and I said, you know, like I had this idea to kind of do exactly what you guys are doing. And since you're already ahead of me and, and I like what you're doing, I like who you're talking to, the questions you're asking, what do you think about turning it into a book and we'll work together? And I kind of, I found them early enough, like they're very successful now. Uh, but at the time, I think like they were just like, oh, I don't know who this guy is, but yeah, let's go with it. And yeah. and so we formed this partnership and we turned it into a book and yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty successful and it's got a lot of good reviews and I'm very happy with the way it came out. Yeah. And so I guess to give a little background, basically you took the podcast up to that point kind of summarized a lot of their guest experiences. I think you pretty much covered the first year of the podcast or so, yep. I want to say. Yep. And it's a great book. And I, I, I wrote a review. I'll put it in the show notes and put the book in the show notes, of course. It really well summarizes all these different perspectives because I, that's the one thing I find, find fascinating about this. And there'll be a million people to write about this stuff. And it's all everyone has a different sort of relatability. And so I, yeah, I appreciate the way you guys structured it. And I could totally see that Tim Ferriss kind of, uh, what is it? The book of Titans or tools of Titans, tools, yeah. tools of Titans kind of approach. Well, I even down to like his thing was like, uh, he had it broken down into healthy, wealthy and wise. Mm-hmm. And so I, my original framework was like spend less, earn more, invest better. Cause that's really the only three levers you have. And then we did end up kind of expanding it to the whole first section was really about uh, developing the mindset. Cause I think most people just, they hear this and say, oh, it sounds great that you retired at 40 or whatever, but I can never do that. And they just right. totally write it off. So we really kind of dove into like developing the mindset and actually uh, kind of putting yourself in a position where you're going to make changes and take action. And then we ended up, we did do those three sections, spend less, earn more and invest better. And then we talked about like, what do you do as you're starting to uh, approach financial independence and what are you going to do on the other side? So uh, yeah, that's kind of the layout of the book and what we, what we covered in there. Yeah. So more on the other side, I guess. I mean, you're 45 now. Where do, where do you, I mean, it's obviously a loaded question, but you, you know, you write for this website now, but what do you, do you, do you see that path kind of continuing or what, do you see yourself going back to a career of any sort? I mean. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that I really kind of, where I kind of differ from a lot of this whole fire crowd. So like in the, in the fire community, um, they like kind of look at like, you're looking at retirement. And like you basically you want to know what your spending is and, and then you have enough to cover you indefinitely, which is a good starting point. And I think I totally agree with that. But the idea that like what your life is going to look like when you're retiring early, like when you're 40 or 30 or 50 or even 60, the idea that your life's going to look the same uh, 10 or 20 years down the road is is um, 
probably not very likely. And so like what I've kind of done is like, I think we have enough that our baseline and then with a good bit of cushion, we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then like, I don't know what my life's going to look like. So we kind of look at it in like 10 year blocks. So like my daughter, she'll be turning, uh, she'll be turning eight here in a couple of weeks. So like we have basically a decade of her being here and uh, with us. And so like really right now, my life just focuses on like really family adventure and kind of being as much a part of her life and influencing her. And then in the meantime, like kind of finding these things that, you know, like you can't have your whole life revolving around your kids. So like, like doing the adaptive things and kind of just having a purpose in my local community. And then through my writing, uh, having a bigger purpose in the, in the world and connecting with people. And through doing those three things, that's kind of my focus for the next decade. But beyond that, I mean, I have no idea where life takes me. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that can be scary, but it's also pretty exciting and fun. And I guess it's how you think about it and approach it. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've wrote, you've written about and talked about forming a life that you don't want to retire from. A lot of people have these jobs. They just want to you know, grind through it so they can finally reach retirement one day. Um, but that's also something on the flip side I hear in the climbing community a lot is they want a career that doesn't feel like work. And the downside maybe is that it also maybe doesn't pay very much. You may have a job that you can make ends meet right now as a 28-year-old, a 32-year-old that's paying the bills, that's getting you around the country, you're climbing and you're making some money. I guess, what's your thought on that? I mean, what does that mean long-term? Well, I think like it's a really different lifestyle, like the standard lifestyle, like, right, people go to school and they get themselves in in student loan debt and then they get themselves in a big mortgage and they have car payments. And so you kind of lock yourself into this lifestyle Mm -hmm. based on those choices. And then like people in the climbing or the outdoors community in general, um, they'll kind of take a different approach where life doesn't revolve around those possessions. But you, yeah, like you said, like, because you're seeking so much, you don't necessarily have a career again, you're kind of locking yourself in. And I think either one is maybe not a great solution just because I think the idea that you can predict what your future self is going to want in a decade or two decades uh, is probably not very accurate or wise. And so I think the more you can give yourself options and flexibility uh, and, and you know, you can create a good lifestyle while also creating some security so you can pivot and change. Like, like we mentioned, like I went through the first 20 years of my life and I don't think I ever slept in a tent outside and then all of a sudden we did this one trip in the Grand Canyon and it changed the whole You're focus psyched. of my life. Yeah. And like, so for the next decade, my whole life revolved around like getting new gear and learning new skills. And I start climbing and I start mountaineering and I start skiing and doing all this stuff. And then that's going to be the whole focus of my life thinking we can't have kids. And then we have a daughter. And now like, I still love the outdoor stuff, but like, it's not like I, I like just getting out just to be outside. And I don't really particularly have any objectives or any things I need to accomplish. Cause like my life really revolves around just enjoying my time and being with her. And so again, like where's that next decade going to look like? I have no idea. I mean, I don't know what my health is going to look like. I don't know what, you know, my wife's health is going to look like. I don't know if where our daughter is going to be, if she's going to stay in this area or be somewhere we're going to want to travel. I mean, who knows what life is going to look like. So just having that, again, that optionality and that flexibility to be able to change and evolve as you go, I think is really important. I really appreciate that perspective. I mean, I can relate. I've, I've gone fully down the climbing rabbit hole where life literally revolves around the sport. Um, your relationships can suffer, you know, work performance can suffer. And it's very easy to start building an entire life around something that may only reflect a small slice of your life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing against climbing. I'm still full, fully in, guys. Don't worry. But um, <laughs> it, it does give me perspective as I have age. I don't have children, but I can imagine how much of a wrench that would throw into things times change. And it, I, I, I appreciate that, that it gives you options. And certainly that's my impression as well. So, 
you know, you, you've been kind of in the public world a bit with, with your writing and the financial advice. Why do you feel like it's so important to kind of get that out there? Why, why not just, I think there's a tendency maybe for folks who have achieved this to kind of live in secrecy, like ah, it's between me and a few friends, but otherwise I don't, I don't need the whole world knowing about my finances. Why do you feel like it's so important? And to your credit, you're not anonymous. I am. But why do you feel like it's so important to just be out there and like to put this out there for the world? Yeah. So I think, um, again, just going back to my story a little bit, um, I do think this is absolutely life-changing. Like if I didn't find, um, those bloggers and actually not just find them, but I think a lot of people find stuff and they read it and then they don't take action, but I actually took action and changed things. And, um, it's transformed my life where I can do this stuff that I'm doing now. And, um, going back a little bit further, like we talked about like my background growing up and my parents didn't have a whole lot and they didn't know what questions to ask as far as this technical side of planning. And so like my mom now, my parents are retirement age. My dad's uh, in his early seventies and my mom's in her mid late sixties. And my mom has a serious health condition. And Mm. uh, within the next month, she's going under, going to, going to go undergo a uh, major medical procedure, which, Mm. um, you know, don't know, there's no guarantee she even comes out on the other side and it doesn't have a great prognosis. And, you know, so I think uh, I see like this people like them who do everything quote unquote, right. And do it the way you're supposed to. And then you get to retirement because that's when you're supposed to enjoy life. And there's no guarantee that time's going to come. And so, like, I think this is really life changing and it motivates me to, again, like, I'm not, I really don't like some of the fire blogs, like, um, like one of the ones I really, it really influenced me is called Go Curry Cracker. And, mm-hmm. and he writes about minimizing taxes and he kind of prides himself on paying no tax, every, no income tax every year. And every year he writes up how he optimizes and people optimize different things. And, and, that's not my story. Like I, I find value in learning from people like that. Um, but for me, I could care less like about having the most money when I die or paying the least taxes over my life or anything. But for me, it's just about how do I translate these stories, these principles and bring them to ordinary people uh, so they can change their life. Cause uh, to me, like I look at people like my parents, I look at other people in the climbing community or the skiing community, people I know that want to live differently, but they don't even try cause they don't think it's feasible or possible cause things are made so complex. So I want to kind of hammer home those simple points and those big points that people miss and that really are life-changing. And and that's what motivates me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story with your mother. I mean, that's powerful stuff. And, and I haven't had that in my family, but I saw another example, you know, when I worked in the corporate world, um, a guy who was well-loved at the company retired and then died shortly thereafter. He had a heart attack, I believe, and that was it. And he had gone around the office telling everyone how excited he was for retirement and all these plans he had. And, then he was dead. So that was his life. And that was a big wake up call for me. Um, and that was before I discovered financial independence too, but I was like, wow, I've got to get out of here. I don't want this to just be my legacy. So that's powerful stuff. I appreciate it. I don't know. What would you, what would you tell to people who are, who are out there listening to this for the first time and kind of coming across this sort of stuff and, and are maybe in that phase of life where it's like, ah, you know, just make ends meet. Let's just go climbing. Let's just do that. And I don't know, flip side, the other people who are stuck at work and really want that life, like, what is that sweet spot in your mind? Like, what, what kind of stories would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's really important to step back and just question, like, why are you following a path? So, like, I think, again, like, I think a lot of people get stuck in that traditional, like, I'm going to, you know, have the white picket fence and two kids and whatever cars and whatever, because that's what people do. And I think, honestly, though, people in the climbing community, like, being a dirtbag kind of gets um, glamorized and like you have to go all in on this lifestyle or you're not really in or whatever. And like, I just think like we're equally guilty, I guess, on, on either side. And 
I think just question everything and, and, you know, do you have to be, do you have to retire? Do you have to be fully financially independent? Do you have to be poor and do this all the time? And maybe like, if you want to be at the highest level, maybe you do. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the people who I know, I mean, I I ran across a lot of people who are, they are engineers, they are doctors, they have reasonable salaries and, and they're in the climbing community, they're in the skiing community or something. And it's not that they couldn't do something similar, but they just don't try. So like, instead of focusing on the experiences, they, you know, you have to constantly be buying the newest gear, the newest jacket, the newest set of skis, the newest whatever. And that's fine if that's what you truly Mm -hmm. like. But uh, I, in my experience, I think, uh, again, it is experience. Experiences of getting out and doing things is what truly adds value to my life. And yeah, if I don't have the nicest gear or whatever, or the nicest house, or the not driving there in the newest Subaru or whatever to get there, right. um, that's fine. But like, I'm I'm doing the things that are really important. So I think figuring out what are those things that are important to you, and then pursue them all out, and don't be afraid of that, mm-hmm. even if you don't fit in with the people around you. And then, real quick, I guess on travel, I mean, with it, with a daughter, you're certainly here during the school year, so you're not like bouncing around the U S constantly, but do you guys have a phase where you're just like, we're going to go out and experience life. We're not going to do the home routine. We're going to be gone for a while. Do you, do you live life like that? Uh, so, I mean, we really, so, um, I don't know if we mentioned where I'm at, but I, I'm happy to share, like I'm in Ogden, Utah. And so we mm-hmm. kind of centered our life around not having to travel as much. So mm-hmm. like being in Pennsylvania, uh, we would typically go up into new England every fall. We would typically do a ski trip out West every winter. We'd try to get out before my daughter, we would try to come out here and climb every summer. Uh, we were constantly traveling and like with her, we kind of wanted to have, be able to just live where we wanted to live. So like we have skiing 15 or 20 minutes from our house, we can walk to or ride my bike to the trails for everything else we want to do. So um, travel, I think is, has become less of a focus for us, but mm-hmm. we still do like this summer we did a month, we rented a camper van and, and went to back, went back to visit family. And, and uh, I think more of our travel is kind of going back home to visit with them. Mm-hmm. And then like, we kind of live and do what we want to do for the most part here. And as she gets older, we'll probably do more, but um, yeah, it hasn't been an emphasis over the last couple of years. We're, we're pretty happy where we are. No, I can relate. I mean, that was a big impetus for where we chose. We wanted to maximize the, uh, you know, small radius around our house. And then, you know, for us get out in the summers just to get out of the heat, but otherwise perfectly content being, yeah, not traveling a lot, not being gone every weekend, which can be an exhausting kind of drag after a while, especially if you got to be at the office on Monday morning. That's for sure. Um, well, that, that's something I've written about is like, where should you retire? But I mean, you don't have to retire. It kind of applies to everybody, but I mean, I, I kind of really break it down to like, what do you want to do every day? Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's where your time's going to go. And like, it does the area you live facilitate that. And then who do you want to be around? Um, so like for us, that was, that was a, a legit trade-off. Like we wanted to be around our family, but we also wanted the outdoor community and, mm-hmm. and we really couldn't have both. Um, and we kind of chose like to live in an outdoorsy area. But then the third thing is finances. And I think some people look at like, you should just live the cheapest place and, and have as much money as you could. But I mean, a lot of places are cheap for a reason. So we kind of, uh, <laughs> like we kind of like we, for us, it was all about skiing. Like we really wanted to be close to skiing. So like that kind of, that's how we kind of came down to like Ogden. Uh, we looked at winter park, Colorado, and we looked at Driggs, Idaho. And, mm-hmm. and those other two were both, uh, all those pla- all three of those places have really gone up in the last three years since we moved. But, uh, um, all three of those places kind of gave us the access, but the other two were smaller. So we chose here because mm-hmm. traveling was a little bit easier, which was important and having more diversity for our daughter as opposed to just living in a tiny outdoor town. So no, that's how we ended well. up choosing here. But yeah. yeah, like we could have lived in park city, but housing is like four times as much and it's otherwise very similar lifestyle we would have had, but like we would have not been able to afford that. And we'd have been working all the time. So finding that right mix of like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be with? And can you afford it? And trying to find that mix, I think is pretty important. Yeah. And for everyone without a map, I mean, we're just north of Salt Lake City. You've got 
you've got all the city amenities, you got the airport. I mean, it's a nice spot here. And you got the skiing. What, how, how far to a ski resort for you? Like, uh, so like from, if we look out the window here, we can see the back yeah. of snow basin. So it's about 20 minutes, uh, driving. Um, and then powder mountains about 25 minutes from here. So they're both awesome. And then we can get down into like the cottonwoods and stuff in an hour from here. So all the salt lake resorts and park city mm-hmm. we have access to. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, before we wrap up here, I mean, is there any other parting thoughts, anything we haven't covered you want to discuss? Um, no, I mean, I think we, I think you asked really good questions. That was a good conversation. Um, if, um, if anybody wants to connect, uh, I, um, I'm happy good to talk point. to yeah. people. Um, I just, I really, I hope, um, my story makes people see this as being a bit more accessible. Um, mm-hmm. I think like, again, people just get locked into this all or nothing, or you have to do this or you have to do that. And, and I hope I kind of inspire people to look a little bit deeper at this. Yeah, and and for those reaching out, I'll get it in the show notes. But you write it. Can I retire yet? Yeah, my blog's Can I Retire Yet, and uh, that's the easiest way to contact me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not much on social media, um, so yeah, if you just go to the blog and I have contact and I have comments on there, and I'm very re- responsive and receptive there. Yeah, you are. Yeah, and I'll get that on there, and then otherwise, I appreciate it. Oh, it's fun. been awesome. It's been awesome. fun. Thank you. Okay, guys, that's it for this week's interview with Chris Mamula. The best place to find Chris is at CanIRetireYet.com. And the best way to support this free resource and everything we're trying to do over here is to simply subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Certainly, I would appreciate if you could share this around to friends, family, anyone who needs to hear this material. And thanks so much. We'll see you soon.